morning. morning. Welcome everyone to Prairie Doc Radio. If you haven't heard us before, we're a call-in medical show. We'd like you to call us with your questions at 692-1430. Our medical editor is Dr. Rick Holm, who is an internist. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. So, tomorrow night's show is about healthcare costs. We're talking about On Call with the Prairie Doc, public radio, 7 o'clock on Thursday evenings. You said the f- show is about... Well, we're going to be doing healthcare uh, costs and um, uh, why it costs so much to go to the doctor, why it costs uh, the country, U.S., uh, so much. You know, one of the interesting uh, bits of information is that we uh, spend 18% of our gross domestic product in the United States and the next 10 most rich, wealthy, expensive countries in the world spend 95 to 12.5%. So that... What did you say we spend? 18%. Oh, 18, okay. So um, half, they pay... Yeah, they pay mm-hmm. ha- about half of what we pay. And, um, you know, uh, they are complaining about the cost of health care being a crisis in their countries. Uh, but we are so much more expensive... And there's a lot of discussion you'll hear tomorrow night by our guests about the cost, but um, uh, I have to tell you about the guests. Well, let me just pose the question. You think there might be a call or two about people who could be upset about the cost of medicine? Yes, there might be a call. (laughs) I wonder. So that is something we want you to think about. If you have questions about that, that would uh, offer you the opportunity. And we do have experts that will be coming in. Go ahead and tell us about our, the guest. Well, the, the probably uh, one of our premier guests is Jim Engelbrecht, who is a, uh, a endocrino- I mean a uh, rheumatologist from Rapid City, and he's been our guest uh, from the uh, advent of this show. Uh, been a dear friend in healthcare, and we met through organized medicine, you know. And um, but through the years, uh, he has also been working as the a consultant for Dakota Care Insurance Company, and has been part of their management, so that they would, uh, if there was a physician that is out of uh, the the realm of normalcy in ordering too many. Uh, expensive tests or uh, doing too many surgeries or inappropriate care, uh, you know, Dakota Care would have Jim call uh, that doctor. I mean, it was it's one-on-one doctor-to-doctor uh, interaction kind of a thing through Dakota Care. But he understands the, the m- business of medicine more than, than the, the average, average guy. person because mm-hmm. of his interaction. You know, if you think about it, most physicians really don't even know. I mean, and I was guilty of this. Really, most physicians don't know what it costs a patient to get this or that test that you're ordering or to have this particular procedure uh, or or whatever. And uh, we know that there's some horrible cost differences out there. For example, uh, reviewing an uh, article in uh, an, an editorial in the Journal of the American Medical Association, March 18th issue, uh, the editorial pointed out that they looked at the cost of getting a twisted ankle uh, looked at in the, in an emergency room, and the costs were as low as four dollars, 
and as high as $22,000. Uh, they looked at the mean cost, I mean the median cost, which is the better, the better number that you would use, median being uh, the halfway point between the average low half and the average high half. And it, instead of taking the top number and the bottom number and averaging everything, you do the med mean, uh, the median, which is a better way of figuring out what is the true number. The median cost of a twisted ankle, not fractured, just a twisted ankle in emergency rooms is $1,100. $1,100 for a twisted ankle. It, the median for a, a urinary tract infection is $1,300. Uh, and... Uh, uh, you know, uh, the highest numbers on, on the urinary tract infections are in the $20,000. It is horrendous, the costs of health care in this country. Let's take our first break, and then we'll come back to this uh, subject. And we do encourage you to call us with questions, whether it's on health care costs or anything else. We do have a question that has been called in. This is Prairie Doc Radio. Our number is 692-1430, and we'll be right back. Thank you for joining us for Prairie Doc Radio. Please call in your questions for our medical guest, Dr. Rick Holm at 692-1430. We're talking about the cost of health care and some of the issues that surround us and discourage us uh, with these costs. Yeah, and I would invite you to please give us a call right now about comments. Make your comment or make your question or let's hear something from you. 692-1430, please give us a call. Um, yeah, I, uh, the, the, the costs have been a consequence of third-party payers. You know, someone else is paying for this. And not only is it, it isn't your insurance that you picked, it's the insurance that your company picked. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and the other thing that we found in this recent article in the March 18th issue of the Journal of American Medical Association... <laughs> was that we have more poverty in the U.S. than these other 10 countries that they were for, with whom we were being compared. More poverty in this country. And why is that? I, you know, uh, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one could argue that people who are poor and destitute come to this country because there's a chance. Uh, but it certainly does impact the medical system. And... People who don't have the means to pay their bills and to, to take care of those medical needs, they still have those needs. And so what do they do? They go to the emergency room. That's the way the most expensive place to get health care is going to the emergency room. And so a lot of this I see is an education issue. I think poverty itself is an educational issue. You take the, the worst of the worst poverty situations and you educate the children, the preschoolers, the give them kindergarten, give them free education, get them to college so they and a college that they can afford. You provide education, and these people who have just the the same amount of potential on average as the rich people's families, you know, can raise themselves up with that education. The if they say mostly you you take you go to a poverty stricken country and you educate the women. 
because women are a most of the time not educated and b they're the ones that are raising the children teaching the children how to read teaching the children how to understand justice and fairness and teaching them when to go into the clinic and teaching them when to go to the clinic. That's, That's what you would like to talk about. So let's do that, too. Well, but, I mean, I, I like the idea of talking about raising poverty, uh, raising people of poverty up. The second thing is in, in, in uh, the U.S. compared to all these other countries, we, we find that 90% of the people have some kind of coverage, whether it be health insurance or, you know, through the government kind of health insurance. But 10% don't. In the 10 next most wealthy countries of the world, it's 99 to 100% are covered. Have coverage, have insurance, have medical care. 90% are covered here, 99 to 100% are covered in the rest of the countries. Yeah, that's tough if you have no health insurance, and uh, particularly if you have a catastrophic illness or accident. Yeah. You don't go in, you don't go in, you don't go in, you go in. You go to the emergency room. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, how expensive is that? A lot of people think that the biggest problem is overutilization. It might not be. A lot of people have said the quality of care in the United States is poorer than the rest. But if you look at it, for the most part, it's about the same, according to this article. Uh, there's, there's, there were some wonderful bits of information that, that came out of that. Well, we hope that folks will tune in tomorrow night to get more details. And that's uh, South Dakota Public TV at 7 o'clock. Uh, we do have a question that's come in. So before we take our next break, we'll go to this question that has been sent in. Sure. And this is a caller who asked about the dangers of a 60-year-old taking Tylenol or Pepsid AC on a daily basis. Well, Pepsid AC... Uh, it is a H2 blocker, Hist antihistamine. Uh, we used to think antihistamines means anti-allergy, but it's an antihistamine H2. It's a, it's a histamine 2 blocker. And for that, uh, uh, it blocks acid being made in the stomach. Tagamet was the major uh, first H2 blocker. Pepsid AC is another version of it. Um, uh, Zantec uh, uh, is another version of it. Uh, those are H2 blockers and they're very fast working and they're moderately powerful. Uh, and uh, we used to do surgery for bleeding ulcers. Uh, that went away the moment Tagamet came out. It's just amazing how that changed the world of and that was one of the, the, and of course it was a brand name uh, drug, Tagamet, uh, Cymetidine, uh, for many years until it went generic, and then then came Zantac, and then came Pepsid, and so on and so forth. Um, and uh, there is some data to think that the acid in the stomach does some good. It kills bugs, it prevents problems. Um, but at the same time, there's been a, kajillion doses of those drugs provided and very little major problems have occurred. There's been some data about maybe bone density and so on and so forth, but I think the data for the, for the most part is really quite low. Out came a second run, run of uh, different kinds of drugs, the proton pump inhibitors um, uh, like... Uh, uh, Renitidine. No, ranitidine is an H2 blocker. No, like uh, Prilosec, Omeprazole, okay. or Omeprazole. Nexium. 
Those are more powerful. They take a longer time to work. They should be started and, and used for a longer period of time and then gradually tapered because you have rebound acidity when you stop them. H2 blockers should be used, quote unquote, as needed. Anyway, that's one thing. The person is also on Tylenol. Yes, but they want to know, can they take it daily? You haven't answered that. They're Pepsid. Right. And my answer is separate from those two drugs. First one is H2 blockers daily. I, I generally think if you need daily H2 blockers, you should be on a proton pump inhibitor. So, um, Talk to your care provider about using a different medicine than using that Pepsid AC, AC on a daily on basis. A daily basis. I think if you're using it daily, you, you would be better off on the proton pump inhibitors. But realize this also, that uh, uh, they did a study where they took people who didn't need proton pump inhibitors, didn't need H2 blockers, uh, H, uh, and they put them on them, uh, both, both groups separately, different studies. And uh, after three months, I mean, it didn't make any difference. They were fine before. They're fine on them. They stop them, and they have heartburn. Uh, they have rebound hyperacidity. So both of those drugs have to be tapered carefully over, they say, a long period of time, like three months before you to, to get off of them without causing rebound hyperacidity. So, but you're saying that this person would be better, uh, possibly better, have better treatment on the... Proton pump inhibitors. But is there danger in taking the prep Pepsid, Pepsid AC. AC daily? No. But if... No? If generally not, except okay. that it's hard to get off of them, and maybe you don't need them. Okay. But that's... and then That's the, the long term. That's yes. a long story. It's a complicated question. We need to take a break, and then we need to finish your question. And the question about Tylenol. Yes, but let's take a break. The Hi, thank you for listening to Prairie Doc Radio. This is Joni Holm filling in for Joan Hogan. We have our medical guest host, uh, Dr. Rick Holm. Uh, and we want to finish up this question on can the 60-year-old take Tylenol on a daily basis safely? Well, the interesting thing is we had Carol Nelson. It used to be Carol Miles. It's now Carol Nelson, the migraine headache expert on the show. We had several years I really should put her back on that list by the way because there's such a she's such a great uh, guest so Carol said oh Tylenol is worse than Advil or Aleve for chronic pain treatment because people have rebound headaches from the Tylenol and I thought oh, no no kidding I mean I thought the biggest problem I mean Advil and Aleve are related to uh, some of the worst headache inducers. Well, yes, they can cause headaches too, but, you know, Tylenol uh, seems to be a rebounder, and so you get headaches as a rebound when you stop the Tylenol. And I thought, well, then huh, I've been using Tylenol or recommending Tylenol for people for one of the major pain relievers. Uh, in fact, they did a study where they looked at people who were having chronic low-grade back pain, chronic pain, low back, chronic pain. And they double-blinded the drugs so that not only the provider, not only the patient didn't know what drug they got, but the provider who was giving the drug X didn't know. So there's no clues given to the, to the patient. And they, 
and after one year the people who had um, the narcotic pain medicine did worse than the people who had Tylenol. The Tylenol did better for chronic severe pain. One more reason to get off the daggone opioids, right? So but the question is Tylenol. And yes. the answer is I think the best way to use any pain medicine, and this is my take home bottom line on this, is as needed, not regularly. I remember a time in my life where I would go to bed at night and I go, well, I got a stuffy nose, I've had a long day, Tylenol will help me sleep. I'm going to just take a Tylenol at night. And I did it every night for the long, for a long period of time, thinking, you know, I'll just sleep better, I feel better, da-da-da. I couldn't tell the difference when I eventually stopped the Tylenol. I mean, it didn't help when you use it all the time. When you use it as needed, it really works. And I think pain medicine is kind of like that, narcotics certainly, and um, Tylenol too. So I think for, for the most part, when you're doing pain medicines, the best way to use them is as needed. The best way to use an H2 blocker is as needed, not regularly. Don't get into the thinking, oh, I need these now. I think a lot of people use, as you mentioned, uh, like the Tylenol at bedtime, they use like an antihistamine because they know it makes them sleepy. What kind of dangers will they have from taking that on a daily well, basis? Eventually, after three days, the, the antihistamine that people use that make them sleepy doesn't work anymore. I mean, they've shown that, and then when you stop it, there's always a rebound almost with almost every drug. So and there also Benadryl can be, at night for sleep is a bad idea. Well, it can cause dizziness. It can cause dryness. It, you can, so you wake up in the night to go to the bathroom. You could have an increased chance of falling. Isn't there possibly a little memory loss? It, the antihistamines, like Benadryl, uh, are, are banned by the geriatric society because of that very reason, that it is not helpful over what you're using it for, and it has significant side effects. There are much better drugs. In fact, if you take a, a huge allergic reaction, uh, you, people think, well, I'll use the Benadryl because it's fast acting and, um, and, it, and it helps me sleep. You know, well, but it doesn't sleep, help you sleep after three days. It has all these side effects, including falling when you get up to go to the bathroom. That's the most dangerous of all. And it doesn't work any better than, than the, the... Zyrtec? The Zyrtec. Uh, so so I, my sense is use the long-acting, non-sedating antihistamines when you have an allergic reaction. But if they're taking it for... They think they're taking it for sleep. But let's move on because we have another uh, question that's come in. And I'm not sure we're going to get to our third break. We'll see. Uh, the question is, is there a good way to get off of Stelazine after four years? Now tell us about Stelazine. It's an antipsychotic medicine. Right. <coughs> Stelazine is an old and inexpensive uh, anti-psych uh, 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 medicine or a psych medicine. Uh, but... Uh, if used in low doses, uh, the side effects are just as minimal as the second generation, very expensive new anti-psych uh, medicines. Second point is, stelazine is often used in low doses for people who don't have psychiatric illness uh, or don't have 
major psychiatric illness. They have minor psychiatric illness. They may have, uh, you know, some anxiety. They may have uh, chronic pain. Uh, it, uh, it may be that they, you know, there's a variety of the people who have bipolar disease, for example, so that they have uh, depression and then they'll get manicky and then they'll have depression and they get manicky or maybe it's a slow swing or maybe it's a fast swing but at any rate the stelazine and a lot of those uh, what are used for psychotic issues are good for people who have not psychotic problems but other uh, sometimes emotional uh, problems so um, I, th I I think that uh, stelazine is one of those uh, less expensive, really effective, when used in low dose, darn good drugs. But it'd be nice not to be on those meds. The, me the you know, we always like, I mean, we always think that the best state is that of no medications, of nature. But we do know that medications make a huge difference in certain conditions. So, the so there's a time for them. He's four years on it, or she's four years on it wanting to get off I would say that you talk to your primary care provider yeah that's one that you really <laughs> need to talk about you you have to have somebody monitoring you and watching you and helping you <coughs> and talk to your family about it how much how bad was I before I was on it how much better am I on it and if I get off of it am I going to swing back into this trouble that I was before Bob side effects uh, side effects are like the antihistamines you know, falling, lightheadedness, uh, dry mouth, dry, you know, constipation, all of the uh, muscarinic uh, components, the anti, the parasympathetic systems get turned off. The, the GI tract where, you, you know, works, there's saliva, the GI tract motility, it slows all that motility down, it slows the saliva, it slows tears, um, and, and, uh, and, and so on. So that's the side effect. A lot of the major tranquilizers, the side effect of Benadryl and, and, and certain antihistamines, uh, and, and certainly the drugs that we use for people who have bladder hyperactivity, uh, which, you know, work uh, not that well, actually, and uh, have a lot of side effects. When, it, when you do have... Uh, that okay from your primary care provider and you start to go off if that were the case uh, one of the main points would be do it very gradually very slowly. I, I like getting off of psych drugs slowly mm -hmm. and if you start to get into trouble you know stop at that uh, hold it at that level for a while and if you're still in trouble then maybe you need the medication maybe it's helped your your lifestyle there are people who are just benefited beyond belief by certain medications and antidepressive drugs, for example, I don't have any problem uh, leaving a person on those meds for a very long time. They are very helpful. They just add as they they increase your own neurotransmitters in your brain. It doesn't add a neurotransmitter. It just keeps them from being deteriorated so quickly, and so you have a higher level of a neurotransmitter. It gives you energy. Sometimes it's the best treatment for chronic pain syndrome. Sometimes those SSRIs are the best treatment for, and it goes on and on and on and on because, you know, so much is a result of a natural tendency for human beings to be sad and the color to go away from their lives. So we, we like to encourage color and joy <laughs> and 
you know, vim and vigor in the daily things that we do every day. Okay. Bob, you had a question about uh, acid bacteria. Oh, oh yeah, Dr. Holm, my, uh, my question was backing up. Uh, I read, I think, once that sometimes bleeding ulcers can be due to a, a bacteria or an infection. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, in fact, that was one of those Australia studies that the guy found out this bacteria thing, and he took it to the world and said, you know, there's a bacteria that's causing ulcers. And no, no, got naysayers, naysayers. And he proved it and repeatedly proved it. And then finally everybody realized that it's true that H. pylori, a particular uh, bacteria, can cause ulcers. Uh, not always, not all heartburn is related to H. pylori, but some of it is. So a patient's going to feel an abdominal pain or a burning. They go into their provider and then one of the workup, one of the diagnostic tests would be to look for this H. pylori, and yes. how is that done? It, it's, uh, uh, it's a, I think it's a, a stool test, uh, but it is also, uh, there's a blood test for it too. I think the two stool test is better, but the, the point is, ask your physician or your care provider to check you for this if you've got heartburn, if you've got uh, acid stomach, if you've got burning, uh, abdominal uh, discomforts and you know the interesting thing is the treatment is high doses of omeprazole you know the proton pump inhibitors and an antibiotic actually double antibiotic two antibiotics and a proton pump inhibitor and then you taper off after a month you taper off the proton pump inhibitor and you get off the antibiotic after about two weeks and uh, sometimes a month of it, it depends sometimes you repeat the treatments so it's a c complicated story, but there is cancers and lymphomas associated with chronic H. pylori infection, so it's important to ask your physician about this. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a, as you, as you say, this whole thing is a very complicated story. And we are running out of time. Let's just thank our listeners for listening this morning to Prairie Doc Radio. We're on every Wednesday at 9.30, and we do welcome your questions. Uh, why don't you repeat? Tomorrow night, uh, Jim Engelbrecht, the other guest, is an uh, expert from Washington, D.C., who is uh, a, a policy, healthcare policy uh, guru. Uh, that I know very well from the American College of Physicians, Bob Doherty, and so he'll Skype in, and we'll have this kind of liberal gentleman and a conservative Jim Engelbrecht, these two people <laughs> with two different perspectives. It'll be a great show. And uh, that is On Call with the Prairie Doc. Yes, and I think we're over time. I think we are. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you, and stay healthy out there, people.